Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always by my man, Philip Russell, and my newly located brother, Ryan. Ryan, give us, a, give us a quick update from sunny Palm Tree, Florida. Well, I feel bad. Uh, for those who don't know, Bowling Green, Kentucky got about 10 inches of snow in total in January. And I seem to have brought the cold with me uh, to Florida. In fact, most nights it's been in the 40s since I got here. Uh, so I have not been welcomed too kindly by the weather. But the days have been beautiful in the mid-70s, so I can't complain too much. I'm guessing with a mainly Arizona audience, uh, to some extent, they probably also can't relate to actual cold weather like what we're dealing with, Philip. But uh, it is cute to hear Ryan say 40 degrees is cold. Uh, looking forward to seeing you transform into a true Floridian, cargo shorts and all. Uh, Philip, we've got a lot to cover. We took a week off. Uh, as I was driving to Florida and back, helping Ryan move, you were taking a week off for emotional reasons as one of your best friends was leaving. Uh, I know a lot's been going on, but anything, any updates, anything new going on with you since we last talked? I got a new job, but we, that I get to start on Tuesday, but we have a lot to cover. I'm still in education, but I'm shifting into a school counseling role. So W's in the chat, hit me up on Twitter with all your school counseling needs. I love kidding. Don't do that. I love it. We're all, we're very proud of Philip. We've known about this for a bit, but it's exciting that that's gonna gonna take over. Um, and in and in my life, I just don't have a brother that lives close by anymore. But we get to talk at least once a week about the Phoenix Suns, and that's wonderful. Um, and I had the opportunity to hop on a podcast with my man Dave King uh, with the Solar Panel. That was super cool. I've been listening to the various renditions of the Solar Panel dating back to. Uh, goodness, probably 10-ish years ago. Um, but speaking of anniversaries and certain amount of years, Philip, do you want to share with the audience what you shared with us right before we started recording? Yeah. So according to my calendar, we're coming up on Valentine's Day, which I guess is cool, but maybe even more than Valentine's Day, the next time our podcast drops, we will have been doing this for a year, which is pretty exciting. Now, there are a bunch of OG OGs in the game, especially just in the wide world of basketball podcast. But for us, we've been doing this fairly consistently with the little offseason break for a year, which is which is cool. There's a we're sticking to it, boys. Yeah, no, I'm I love it. Uh, And I wanted to start because I feel like this is something we don't do well. And I'll just say I don't do well is I want to start by thanking those that are listening to us. Uh, If you are just a follower of the Bright Side Podcast Network and we're this new podcast that popped up and you've been giving us a try and sticking with us. We appreciate it. Uh, If you are someone that's been listening from day one, which if that's the case, that's really impressive. Good for you. Uh, We just appreciate you guys. This is a whole lot of fun. And what I'm going to start asking you all to do, I'm not going to worry about reviews on podcast sites and stuff like that. But if you are listening, we would love for you to reach out on Twitter. Uh, You can find us at the Valley PHX. And honestly, it would just be great to know what you guys are thinking of the episodes. If you have questions, if you have responses, so feel free to, to tweet us or just reply to kind of our, our announcements every Monday with the new episode. Uh, but we want to get more involved with you guys as wonderful as it is seeing the numbers each week of those listening. Uh, we want to hear from you guys. Cause I think that's going to add a whole new dimension of what we can do here. 
And last time we recorded, I dropped a really random Bilbo Baggins quote in the middle of the episode. And I was like, hit me up if you know that episode. And my guy, D. Will, he's at D. Will Devil on Twitter, hit us up, which was really cool. So D. Will, if you're listening again, shout out to you, man. You made my day. Not only, I, I want to throw in an addition as well. Not only are we thankful to those people who have stuck with us and who have been listening, uh, we, like the bright side, are thankful for first responders. And if you haven't already checked out um, Bright Side of the Sun's work doing the Bright Side of the Sun night at the Phoenix Suns games. Uh, Dave King has done a great job spearheading that effort through Bright Side to get affordable ticket, or I guess free tickets at an affordable donation to you. Um, and it's a great way just to give back to people who've been doing a lot of the hard work on the ground this year, especially with first responders and help some folks who may not have been to a Phoenix Suns game in person get to a game. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, um, if you just look at uh, Bright Side of the Sun Night on Google, it'll take you to a link where you can check that out. Uh, well, I was, was going to say, participate if, in that. if you want to go directly there, it's actually at suns.com slash oh, awesome. bright side. So suns.com slash bright side. $11 donation gives a free ticket to someone to go see their first Suns game. That is awesome, right? I'm telling you as someone whose life would have been forever changed if they got to go to a Suns game growing up. Uh, there's a lot of folks who have been working really hard. So if you want to be a part of that, feel free to do that. I know the Suns are matching to some extent. There's other partners. I think SB Nation actually is matching to some extent as well. So a lot is going into this, and we want to push that to everyone. If you're one of our Kentucky friends who are listening, you might not be able to go see Devin Booker, but for 11 bucks, someone else gets to. And that almost feels just as wonderful. So for real, we, we love the stuff that's going on. We appreciate Dave and all that he's doing. Uh, but with that, we have a lot to recap. And so we're going to put on our hard hats and we're going to get down to business real quick. And eventually we'll stop for some air. But since our last recording... We were very excited for what we were calling Jazz Week. We had Utah Jazz on Monday and Wednesday, and although both games were wins, which are wonderful, unfortunately, they were without some star players on the other teams with uh, Donovan Mitchell taking some time off, Gobert out. Uh, quick pause. Donovan Mitchell's been out, I think, 10 or 11 games with a concussion. That's, that's a lot of games for a concussion. I know I had a few concussions playing soccer. Ryan was regularly concussed with football. We Might got back, still be, to be honest. We got back out there pretty quick. Um, so I'm curious to see what else is going on here. But Suns took care of business, both of those games, just not quite as exciting as we'd like. Then we had the beautiful Booker, Carl Anthony, Towns, D'Lo reunion, the Slam Magazine special. Suns took care of business there. Friday followed it up with one of, in my opinion, the most entertaining and interesting games against the Spurs. I know that will get touched on later. I know I've got some stuff to discuss. And then we find ourselves in this past week, Tuesday against the Nets, Thursday against the Hawks, and then against the Wizards yesterday. Two of those games, very interesting. I think we can learn some stuff from the Nets game and the Hawks game. The Wizards did show up, and for that, we applaud them. Uh... Other than that, there's not too much to add. The Suns managed to have a 10-point fourth quarter and still win by 15 and hold their opponents to 80 total points. So if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know, I don't know what will. But guys, anything out of the last two weeks, I know we're going to touch on them. We always, with our highs, our lows, our just so you knows, I'm guessing a lot of these past weeks will kind of get brought up and discussed throughout. Is there anything that really jumped out to you that you want to talk about kind of before we get in there? Uh, I would say for me, it's just the fact that we, in the last 10 games, have still only lost one game, which is 
unfathomable considering how um, some nights we, we didn't look completely put together. There were some nights where we looked significantly better than other nights. Uh, but we just the other night lost to the Hawks, as, as you mentioned. And that's still one loss in the last 10 games. And now 10 losses total on this season about to head into all-star break. Like we are rolling. And there are people who um, definitely are, are starting to get that anxiety, I think, of uh, when's the roof going to cave in. But we're really good. And I don't think that roof cave in is coming anytime soon. Do you want to talk about pick and roll right now, Ethan? Well, I was going to say, I knew, I figured you might have something to to add, but I knew Professor Russell was in session shortly as we go into uh, class number two on the pick and roll defense. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted to add anything else, feel free. Now, I think this was, this was the big thing that I was watching for the last few, the last few weeks, especially because of games against the Jazz, which we didn't learn as much about, but especially the Spurs Nets Hawks. So if you missed last episode, last episode, we talked about the most basic pick and roll coverage, which is simply switching. When a, an offensive player sets a screen, just flip defenders and you go on your merry way. This week, we're going to talk about a little bit more complicated coverage, and that's dropping on the pick and roll. Now, if you, if you don't know that terminology, it's fairly self-explanatory. It's where the defender plays back away, the big plays back away from the ball screen when the screen is being set, or they kind of show at the initial point of the screen and then backpedal or take steps back as the, usually as the big rolls to the basket. Now, defensively, why would, why would a team decide to do this? The idea is that the big can take up space so that they can hopefully, if they're up at the level of the level of the ball screen, challenge the initial step in shot off of a pick and then still have the space to recover to the basket. So it's like a two for one challenge it. So they can't just walk right into a three and then get back to the guy who's rolling. And then for a lot of teams, this is really good. It encourages the offensive player to come and fill the mid range which can be really tricky for an offense. A lot of times, if you're watching a pick and roll, you'll see guards kind of get caught in between doing a floater, passing to a big, maybe passing out to a corner. And that will usually come from good drop coverage where they don't know exactly what the big is going, what the big is going to do. And then your help defenders from the wings and in the corners can mix it up because they can, they can play a couple different ways and they can essentially make a triangle with with the big who's there now the issue with good drop coverage is that you have to have a good on ball defender who's fighting over the screen and then getting back in the play as quickly as possible Uh, people talk about defensive coverages a lot in terms of the jazz and the jazz get criticized because gobert has gotten played off the floor several times one of the things that the suns have that the jazz don't is a defender to the level of Mikhail Bridges. And even this year, to some extent, Devin Booker, where you see them fighting over screens or getting skinny to get around screens really quickly, because that the guy guarding the initial on-ball defender has to get back into the play. They have to get back into the play as quickly as possible. So then the, the big can get back the guy who's the guy who's dropping. So it's good for the defense. It puts the offense in a bit of a tricky situation. Offensively, the perk is it's really hard for big guys to play good drop coverage. DA is good at 
dropping. He's a talented defender in this regard. Nobody else on the Suns right now is particularly good at this because if the big can't contest at the three-point line, the offense is going to get a wide open step in three, which is a high efficiency shot. If the big drops back too far, you can get an easy mid-range shot or an easy floater. If the initial on-ball defender is slow, then it's a two-on-one with the big with not a lot of other people to help, which is where you see the Suns excel when they get easy lobs to DA, JaVale, those kinds of those kinds of guys. So it is really hard for defenses to play this well, especially against a good offense that has dynamic shooters on, on the wings. Mm. I love it. I love learning. And to be honest with you, I think one, one reason drop coverage is, is so relevant is because it was, I mean, it was very common in the, Oh goodness mid to early LeBron era, if we can start using LeBron to have eras, right? A lot of the playoffs that in our generation grew up watching. And what's funny is players like Chris Paul, who we now get to watch all the time, were huge reasons why drop coverage couldn't always work. And that's because not a lot of guys feel so at home in the mid-range in that 12 to 15 range as Chris Paul. And we also have Devin Booker, who is also fantastic there. So the Suns, from what we have seen this season, are incredible at attacking drop coverage. And when the playoffs started last year, you saw teams having to try to switch everything, which, again, when you've got a team as talented as the Suns, it's nice to be able to attack so many different ways, so many different defensive sets as well. And if you you listen to a lot of Suns podcasts, one of the things that people wanted Devin Booker to work on was his off-the-dribble three-point shot, which you can hear in drop coverage if, if you're a good off-the-dribble three-point shooter, that big has to come up to the level of the screen to get that initial contest in. But if they do that, it's easier to get around that defender on more of a straight-line drive to the basket, which Booker has been, has been really good about this last, this last week. So again, it's, it's a really challenging pick-and-roll coverage for defenses, but it's also very common. It's why yeah. some teams are absolutely trash when you put them in the pick and roll because guys like Chris Paul can just dissect them. And that's why a lot of bigs get played off the floor, right? Yeah. A lot, I think a lot of people think, oh, a big's getting played off the floor. Oh, they're not quick enough. Oh, their feet aren't good enough. And I think in their mind, they're thinking like man-to-man guarding, right? Like trying to stay with your player. It's less about staying with your player as much as it is trying to defend two spaces at once. Mm-hmm. And so DeAndre Ayton, to his credit, he is he is an agile, nimble big fella, and he's able to get that quick step up and immediately retreat, turn the hips, which is big. If you're in football, it's similar to a cornerback. You've got to be able to immediately have that pressure, that step up, and then turn and move. And that's a really hard skill for anyone, let alone a dude that's seven foot one and weighs who knows how many pounds, right? For a lot of these bigs in the league, that's tough. And it's, it's one of the reasons why the Biombo and McGee can just do what DA does is a silly idea because he is so much better at covering that at drop coverage than they are. And even at defending just generally, and because he allows the Suns to stay in their normal rotations, then they can run their usual offensive sets with him on, on the other end of the court. Yep. Well, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the center position in the five, I think the Spurs game I mentioned was a huge, huge game when it comes to doing some analysis on how the Suns were able to change things up. Uh, but if there's nothing more to add, we will get to the heart and soul of Into the Valley. Our highs, 
our lows, and our just-so-you-knows in Phoenix Suns basketball. Now, Ryan, I know you've got a lot of stuff going on. Life is new and beautiful for you. You're probably on a cloud nine, happiness, optimism. Let's take a little bit of that and uh, bring it into the last two weeks of Suns basketball. A lot of stuff's gone well. You've already mentioned it. They had their second 10-plus win streak of the season, which is just absurd to think about. What stood out to you as your high in Phoenix Suns basketball since our last episode? My high comes back to something you actually mentioned as in your guest spot this weekend. Uh, and it starts with us going 13 and one in January. So we go 13 and one in January. Monty gets his second coach of the month honor, which is great. Getting it once is great. Getting it twice in a season is, is awesome. But all season long, it has been this team's mission to get Monty to the all-star game. You know, in years past, we've been worked up about who's going to get to the all-star game. Is Devin Booker finally going to get the recognition he deserves? But we found out this past week that Monty and and the Suns coaching staff will be coaching the all-star game. And I think that just means a lot to this team. I think, you know, our whole identity is built from the foundation with Monty and and the the change of mentality he has brought to this team, to the, the family feel he has brought to this team. So my high is just, you know, seeing Monty get... Uh, his his due and get his recognition um, is to me just a high because I know how much it means to our guys uh, and and what it means at a league level that that the league is recognizing what he has been able to do um, for this Phoenix team and completely reshape its culture and its success moving forward. And it's cool to like that is and yes I on Dave's with the show there I definitely ranted a bit, but what I love about it is its recognition that is earned. Like this wasn't a vote that fans and K-pop fans who knows where can influence and make Andrew Wiggins Wiggins. a starter and whoever. But I love that it's the team with the best record in each conference gets it. And Chris Paul, who is a podcast superstar, by the way, Draymond as well, to his credit, JJ Redick has been on fire with his last two episodes, but it was so clear that Chris Paul and the team wanted that, which just, you know, I, I can, love sesh all over this this team and this roster and the family uh i agree ryan that was on my list as well uh it's awesome like it made me so happy for that i also think he needs to be a coach of the year a little revenge from last season where he probably should have got it as well but uh that one we'll have to we'll have to wait and see a little bit philip high in phoenix suns basketball mikhail bridges the three level scorer he has been, he was really good, obviously, against the Nets. He dropped, what was it, 27, mm-hmm. I think. And he had, was it Eight. this week that he went over 20 back to back? Three times? Three, I believe three straight, 20, it was three straight. That's awesome. Yeah. And the, the Nets game was really steady scoring. Ethan and I were talking about this off the mic earlier today that it was, it was something along the lines of like eight points in the first quarter, six, four, and then nine points in the fourth. But I just want to throw out some, some stats and then give, give an eye test. He's shooting 52% from the field, which is outstanding on almost 10 shots a game. So this is not, this is not some flute guy who's only putting up a couple shots a game. He's shooting 62% inside the arc, 38% from three, which is a good clip above league, league average. When you get inside, he is deadly. He is deadly. 73% from inside 10 feet, 78% from inside five feet. 
And then he shoots almost 87% from the line. So this guy is scoring efficiently. And here's, here's a confession coming in, coming into the season. I wanted Mikhail to work on being a primary option. I wanted him to be in more pick and rolls. I wanted him to help facilitate the offense a little bit more. I think Mikhail as a secondary option is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. He is capable at these different levels. He's capable of backing someone down and bailing out a possession with a little fadeaway mid-range shot. He's able to decoy people with that cute little ATO they do where it's the fake handoff and then Mikhail drives to the basket. It's at every single level. He's a good and capable scorer. And I just don't think he needs to be a primary option for this team to succeed. And I don't think he needs to be a primary option for his career to get to the level that it can. I think him being a secondary offensive option is good. And he is playing almost perfectly right now. I'm a hundred percent down with everything you said. And we, Ryan alluded to it. We discussed Mikhail as well on the podcast. I think it came out today, Sunday. It was recorded yesterday, but Dave posed the question to me and Brandon, do you think Mikhail has turned the corner offensively? And I don't think he has become what we wanted him to be. Like you said, right? Like, I think we all had this dream of, if he can get to like the 15 to 20 a game, right? That 17, 18 mark, that's awesome. We'd love it. It's this extra attack. But the more I see him be successful in the role he's in, I think it's perfect. Like, I think you're completely right. And just watching the games this week in the ways that he did score, he hit his threes, he hit his free throws, he was efficient around the rim. He was okay being the focal point of the offense when the mismatch warranted it, which was very apparent in the Hawks game. It's just a level of confidence that I'm seeing in him offensively. And I know this is crazy because Devin Booker does not seem to be low on confidence, but it's the same confidence that I'm also seeing from Booker this season where it's, I don't have to get to my spot, right? I'm going to take what the defense gives me. If that means a few more step in threes, okay. If that means trying to get to the line more, okay but I know I can handle whatever is given to me. And Mikhail's doing the same thing. It's not, if I want to get hot, I need to get to the corner. I need to hit my two or three threes in the first quarter, right? And so I just think that's a a development of the game as a whole for the team. That's wonderful. Uh, Mikhail is making me a little nervous though about my Cam Johnson ceiling is higher than Mikhail's ceiling uh, (laughs) argument. He took about a, a week and a half to make me feel a little uneasy there, but it's, it's great, right? I think there's nothing but good things to say there. Do you do you all think that role has to change in a Chris Paulist Suns team moving forward though? Because I mean the sun is setting on Chris Paul's career. We don't know how much longer we have him. I refuse to does, say the sun is setting because I want that man to play forever. But I'm I understand just saying, realistically, I understand. like does 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 being okay with who he is as that second option last past Chris Paul? Or will we have to reevaluate our expectations of him? Once Chris Paul is gone. And I that's think, a question maybe to answer down the road. But. No, I, well, I think right now in terms of our starting five, he is the fourth option offensively. Maybe fifth, depending on the night. Sometimes Jay Crowder is getting the ball fed to him a lot, right? But it's going to be for the first three quarters, at least Devin one, DA two, Chris, probably three in the first three quarters. I know Chris goes super sane in the fourth. 
but then it's Mikhail J in, in some way there. I think if you can get Mikhail to a point where if we do move to a point guard who isn't able to get his, maybe Mikhail can do more. But the thing is, like I said, for 75% of the game, we don't have a ball dominant shoot first point guard who's taken those reps away. If anything, I think Mikhail is thriving because of the creation that comes from Chris. And from what I've seen, if, if, and when Chris leaves, I think with the team that's being built, you want a point guard that can continue to facilitate, right? I don't think you can get the clutch gene in some other point guard coming in, but if you can, I mean, a Darius Garland type, right? Someone who can just do what's needed on defense, be smart, be heady, facilitate, create for others. I think it's a, a great mix, but I do hope that Mikhail can push it into the next year when he needs to. Not that it's going to happen every night, but having that option, I do think is something a Suns fan should hope for. And I think to that end, though, it, it might be helpful to remember that Chris Paul does not become one other player, most likely. Chris Paul probably becomes multiple players. So you're thinking about different guys who can hopefully fill in fill in some of the gaps that that maybe Mikhail is still lacking at that point because I'm still on this. I think his, wing. Me- oh. his mechanics, <laughs> his mechanics will keep him somewhat offensively limited for potentially his entire career. Now, all that being said, Ethan, what is your high from Phoenix Suns basketball? Thanks, Boo. I will say uh the Monty Williams one was number one on my list. Mikhail having a breakthrough was number two on my list, but you know what? That's, that's what happens when you, uh, when you pass the ball to others, sometimes you don't get that first or second shot. Uh, no, I had a bit further down on my list was the fact that the Suns are, are able to take care of business in games that it looks like they shouldn't win in the Spurs game for me was a huge high. Because it showed, I think, some maturity on the player's end and on the coach's end to say, hey, something's not working. Let's make an adjustment. And that big adjustment for those that weren't able to watch the game was an ish Wainwright at the five for, I didn't look at the minute. I mean, it was the tail end of the third and then just kept going into the fourth, right? I mean, it was a while. And it was this, now again, people are going to, People love to criticize anything that sounds anti Aiden, but I just want you to rock with me for a little bit here. It was the beautiful style of basketball that I love to see, which is we have five out. We have tons of cuts going underneath. We have five dudes that can make a capable pass and can potentially shoot a three. And that's what we saw. The run started with a Wainwright three in the corner that immediately gave him a little bit of credibility where the defender had to guard him. And so much space opened up. And Monty rode with the hot hand, even if it wasn't a unit that particularly made sense. We've seen it with other games, I think last week, when Booker was off the court for a good chunk too. And you know what? We just kept running with it because that's what works and that's what makes sense. And so I loved it. I loved seeing Monty try something new. He's done a lot. Let's be real. He's done a lot of weird rotations recently. A lot of times at the end of the game, look at the Wizards, for example, when things were out of reach. I don't know if that's like, hypothesis testing for the playoffs when it comes to who can do what in the rotation. Uh, But it's just always good to see that you can win different ways because in this league, that's huge, especially come playoff time when teams actually have game plans for you, make adjustments. And the sun showed that, you know, they're a talented team top to bottom. Uh, We were talking earlier 
about the Wizards game when it was the third quarter and they were up by 30 something. We're like, well, I guess we're going to put the scrubs in. And then we had this epiphany of like, well, do the Suns really have scrubs? And then you put the five worst Suns on the court and you're like, that's not a bad team, right? Like may not be the dream. It could be a little clunky, but there's a lot of talent on that roster. So it's just good to be reminded that the team is good no matter the circumstances. Um, but yeah, go ahead, Philip. Just adding on to the, to the Spurs game. Ish was needed in that game because Bismack was getting cooked Worked. on pick and roll defense. And that is, that is a great example to go in and, and see if DA's in that game, that game is very different. And you probably don't need to break the glass on that Ish wing right at the five quite yet against them. But the Suns were really struggling defending, especially right around the elbow against guys like Lonnie Walker and then eventually Trey Jones a little bit later in the game. So you had to do something. And what the Suns did was they put in a lineup where they could essentially switch everything. So to think back on our last couple episodes, this week's stuff, the drop was not working. So they reverted to what we talked about last week and decided to put a switchable lineup in. I might be wrong, but I think Booker was out of that lineup that turned things around now that my my memory is starting to click here. And I double-checked it with the plus-minus, and Biombo was a minus 10, Booker was a minus 12, and then Bridges plus 6, Paul plus 14, Cam Johnson plus 17, Ish plus 8, Shamit plus 10. And I think those were the dudes on the court for that big run where everything flipped. So what an odd group. Um, Landry Shamit, I love when you can go plus – 10 at uh, one of six shooting one of four from the three uh, bless his heart. That guy's got some uh, figuring things out to do on his end, which we may discuss later. But with that said, lots of good. That's what happens when you go on another 10 game win streak uh, lows in sons basketball. I'm going to go ahead and start with the Hawks game. Obviously when you have one loss in a span of like three weeks, it's pretty easy to go there. My low was less about the outcome of the game. A loss in Atlanta is a loss in Atlanta, right? My thing is I've watched that game now three times, which I know is a slightly absurd thing to do. The Hawks hit a lot of hard threes, like contested, dumb looking shots, whatever. But my, my question more than anything is, is that a, a stoppable problem, right? a team shooting 20 of 41, if my memory serves from three, you can be hot. I get it, but that's not, it's not the warriors. It's not a whole team of steps. What can be done to fix that? And then if you look at how the game kind of concluded by the sun's going small towards the end, it's okay. We're just, were there poor adjustments? Were there no adjustments? What, what was the issue? So that game to me, it didn't feel like a, Oh, the sun's just sucked and the Hawks played out of their minds. It was a done deal from the first, right? The Suns hung tough. Even when the numbers weren't going their way, they showed a crap ton of heart in the fourth, which made me happy. But it does concern me. I'm hoping it's a one-off. I'm hoping it's an outlier. We've seen it before. But we've also seen the Suns win games, even when teams did that. So that's my low. It's just how do you, how do you take that and learn from it? I'm not, I'm not the head coach. Uh, Philip, I'll turn it to you for, for your thoughts on it. But it just looked like some of those shots, especially in the third and then tail end of the fourth, were just, it looked like poor rotation. It looked like guys didn't know what was going on. And in a time of the game where that can't happen, it happened a lot. 
So Philip, I'll, I'll let you make your comment there, but that's kind of what stuck out. To yeah. Me. So my, my low for this week was the defensive lapses against the Hawks, specifically in the third quarter. There were a couple in the fourth when they tried to go zone and Jay and Cam Johnson didn't communicate particularly well. And Hawks got some, got some easy buckets, but listen to these quarter scores against the Hawks. First quarter, 32, 30 Hawks. Second quarter, 32, 31 Hawks. Fourth quarter was 24, 24. The third quarter was 36 to 30. So something happened in that quarter that extended the lead more than any other quarter. And here were, here were the three things. Jay got caught, and this is rare. Jay got caught ball watching on at least two possessions that I wrote down and possibly even a third where he let someone get wide open for a three-pointer. JaVale got caught flat-footed defending really good shooters. And like we talked about earlier, he didn't get up to the level of the screen against Bogdanovich and Trey Young at different times. And then really late in the quarter, Alfred just loses Trey Young in the middle of a possession and he gets wide open for three. So three, six, nine, 12, 15, you're looking at 15 to 18 points in that quarter where it, it wasn't crazy shots. The Hawks were wide open. A couple of times now, early on in that game, second quarter, some in the first quarter, especially in the second quarter, the Hawks went batty. The Hawks went batty from three, but in that third quarter where the Hawks were inching ahead, there were some defensive rotations that needed to be tightened up. And the reason, the reason I was focusing on this as a low is because that, that game was very close to being an outstanding win. I mean, you were close to taking a barrage of threes from a really good offensive team and still sticking it to him at home, walking away with the win. But again, late in that third quarter, really throughout a good chunk of the third quarter, some of those rotations were sloppy. The Hawks get ahead and then the Suns couldn't couldn't overcome it later in the fourth. Yep. No, I, I think you're spot on. And the Hawks are one of those teams they can have that night and then follow it up with an egg the next night, which they did, right? It's not a consistent, dangerous team, but they are a team when things are clicking. That can happen, but I agree. Defensively just did not look the norm. And that, I've seen more of that the less I see Aiden on the court as well. I think Aiden, what Aiden brings defensively is a lot more than just rim protection. And I think that shows more and more as we're seeing more minutes go to the other bigs. So I'm curious to see, see what comes of that. Ryan, sorry to burst the, the optimistic Florida bubble for you. Uh, but what do you got in terms of lows for your uh, week in Suns basketball? Well, I think you were, you were touching on it a little bit. And I think what we're seeing my low is I, I think we're really seeing some of these injuries impact Devin Booker's ability to, to score. Um, Indy talks bat, uh, Indy talks ball on, on Twitter tweeted out Booker's first 23 games. He was shooting 42% from three, the last 22 that's dropped to 33%, which is a pretty significant drop for somebody who was shooting really well. And Kellen Olson, who, who is just a, a genius when it comes to all things, a straight, sense, a straight G loved yes, by this. Podcast. We love Kellen Olson here uh, noted three big drops and they're in very specific areas, but I think all three are indicative of, of not having some of those key players on the floor. The first is in zero dribble three. So Booker's ability to shoot without a dribble, his three-point percentage dropped from 45.8 to 34.6, which is a massive drop. 
his Oops. wide open threes, which is even even more stark, dropped from fifty point nine percent to twenty nine point seven. So he's not getting those wide open gimme looks, and when he is getting them, he's he's not hitting the way he was. And then lastly, when having the ball in his hands for less than two seconds before shooting, he's dropped from forty four point three to thirty seven. So not quite as significant, but still a drop. Uh, and, and I think looking at those stats and his the way as well he, as he was shooting early on. You know, we Philip has mentioned a couple of times we're in that slog of the season where injuries start popping up, things start slowing down. And I think we're really starting to see how that's impacting Booker's ability to get those three point shots off. Now, his inside game is still as good probably as it's been. We're seeing the way he dissects defense and is able to to get his shots up. Um, But those are some really big drops. And that's something that hopefully as we get healthy, we'll see recover in time. Uh, to make a deep playoff run. But that to me is just a low because that's a, a really big drop off, especially on those wide open attempts. Not only is he shooting less of those attempts, he's he's hitting significantly less. Uh, and that's just, I, I wouldn't say it's an area of concern just yet, um, but it's definitely something to watch as we move forward to see what he's able to do. Yeah, Booker's threes, I mean, you mentioned the numbers. The numbers don't lie there. Start the season, it looks like he had figured something out that we've been waiting on for a few years. Mr. Three-Point Shooting Contest, who has a silky smooth stroke, has not been the three-point shooter in-game that a lot of people expected. So it is interesting, and I hadn't noticed that. I felt like my eye test was telling me that he was missing more, but I also felt like he was taking more, and I think my brain kind of just allowed those to offset each other. But definitely definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, Now we can get our lows behind us. Now we can move on toward just so you knows which sometimes are off the wall. Sometimes they are logical. <laughs> I feel like that was pointed. Was that directed no. at somebody? Listen, I went on a 15 minute rant about what Cam Johnson does on Thursday nights. I don't, I don't point fingers at anyone anymore, uh, but I wanted to go ahead and kick it off by just kind of piggybacking from when we talked the last time, which was two weeks ago. Our whole point of that last episode was talking about what was happening around the league talking about who the Sun should be aware of, who is, we as fans should be kind of in the know in terms of what's going on. But I wanted just to bring your attention to an interesting thing that you can find amongst the standings. The Suns obviously are good, and they keep winning, and we all like to talk about that. But it's insane to me that the Suns now have a 10-and-a-half-game lead over the Jazz, who are in fourth. The Suns have done a fantastic job of extending that lead in the West, which is huge. The bigger lead you can have in those one, two, three, whatever seeds, I mean, can't be overstated how important that is. We saw, unfortunately, in the playoffs last year, how big home court can be for either side. Uh, Ryan and I got to witness the, uh, the power of playing in Milwaukee, and you obviously want to do everything you can to be the highest seed and have home court advantage for moments like that. But the Suns right now are 42 and 10, two and a half games above the Warriors, which that gap was actually larger two weeks ago. The Warriors have also been on a bit of a tear, riding an eight game win streak. They really got their crap together and have been slowly kind of closing that gap right before the, the Suns went on their big win streak. And then the Grizzlies are 37 and 18, only six and a half back at that three spot. That's, that's insane to me. And just to kind of flip it and look at a a contrast of another reality we could be living in. And again, the magic number here, the Suns have a 10 and a half game lead above the four seed in the East. 
there is a nine and a half game difference between one and uh, 12. So the lead between the Suns and the fourth seed in the West is more than the lead between the Heat and the 12 seed Knicks in the East, right? So the East is its own little weird animal of who knows what's happening, but it is great that the Suns are taking care of business in the regular season. I think finding little motivations such as getting Monty Williams and the staff to the All-Star game is a great one. Hopefully they can think of more to keep them motivated for the second half, but the Suns are in a great spot going into technically not the middle of the season if you're actually counting games, uh, but the big break of the All-Star weekend coming up. It's great that they're going to be able to celebrate with their coaching staff there to enjoy it. Booker and Paul getting actually voted in, not replacements, a.k.a. Booker every other year but this year. And so we're in a good spot. And it's just a reminder, the Suns are good, things are good. But as we mentioned in our last episode, the Warriors and the Grizzlies, not messing around. For the people that said the Warriors would be worse or not as good with Clay, LOL. And for people people who doubt the Grizzlies, I would implore you to listen to Draymond's uh, interview with JJ Redick on JJ's podcast recently, where Draymond is talking about the people in basketball who have the highest IQ, and he na- name drops Rajon Rondo, LeBron James, and he says an honorable mention. He's not there yet, but he very likely could get there. Is Ja Morant, uh, yeah. and, and so they are the real deal, and Ja especially is is the real deal. So the Grizzlies are very much a threat, um, and I I was shocked to hear that, but when you kind of put it in context. It, it, it makes sense, at least with what we're seeing this year. So anyway, that's my just so you know. I think it's good just to be reminded of everything happening outside of Suns land uh, because eventually that will have an impact on, especially come playoff time. Uh, Ryan, no need to go crazy. I know you've uh, made quite a reputation for yourself, but just so you know in Phoenix Suns basketball. My just so you know, um, I am very much about enjoying the moment. In fact, I think I've encouraged that a couple of different times on the podcast. And I just want to provide some cool perspective. In 2018-2019 season, the Suns won 19 total games. That's a miserable existence. Since the bubble, the Phoenix Suns are 116-39 and with a 75% win percentage. What we're seeing is very special and is very enjoyable. And I just hope that you don't get worked up about trade rumors or, or one loss in 10 games and just enjoy the moment. We are 116 and 39 since the NBA bubble in Disney. Uh, and when you think that it was just four years ago that we won 19 total games, um, we are in the prime maybe of Suns as a franchise. Uh, and, and I just hope that you all are able to put that in its context when you're tempted to get anxious or worried uh, or concerned about what the future might bring. We are in a really good spot as a fandom, and I just encourage you to enjoy every second of it. Suns are good, man. I watched, I watched a lot of Suns growing up, and I watched what many believe to be the heyday of the seven seconds or less Suns, and I'm telling you, this team, this group has an opportunity to cement itself Uh, as a best ever in a historically good and great franchise, though they don't have that trophy yet. Boy, if they could, uh, if they could bring that home, things would be, it'd be, it'd be a lot to take in. Philip, close this out. Just so you know, in Suns basketball. Trade deadlines this week. That's exciting to talk about, but here's Ricky Rubio. (laughs) Our Sands fans out there. 
who love Ricky Rubio. He got traded just a few hours ago. Tough love, man. Tough love. Here's the deal with this trade deadline and for the future of the franchise. Suns are here's what makes basketball sense to me. I'm not going to speak anything definitively. They should just look to get marginally better. We're talking like small. These aren't going to be league shaking home run moves. If they are, we'll do an emergency podcast, but I would expect they won't be because of the projected future of this franchise and how young the core is and how good that young core is. So it can be, it might feel disappointing for some Suns fans that the Suns aren't going to make some huge splashy trade. But what I would encourage Suns fans to do is think back at what prevented the Suns from winning the championship last year. It is, it was probably a single bigger body who was marginally competent on the defensive end. And that turned the tide of the NBA championships. Giannis gets his 50 piece. They get the parade. The Suns go home and go home in six. So as the Suns hopefully make some marginal moves to move guys like Jalen, you would expect maybe Dario and Frank, since they're out for an extended period of time, that's what the Suns need because as Ryan and Ethan have already mentioned, the Suns are already really good and they are already certifiable contenders and contenders don't need to make big splashes. They need to shore up what little might be lacking. And just a reminder for all the folks that love the trade machines and all the other stuff, in order to get value, you must give up value. So as much fun as it is talking about, we want this player, we want Sabonis, we want Rubio, we want LeBron. I don't care. At the end of the day, you have to give up value and assets to make that happen. And to the level that we like to dream of these big things, you've got to give up big things. And so it makes more sense to your point, Philip. Give up those contracts that might, to be honest, they don't care about the player, they care about the contract. Give up some of those contracts that may make something make sense. Give up a young guy who might have potential elsewhere or could be a really easy salary dump. Someone like Jalen Smith, hate to say it, but because his contract wasn't uh, tendered, signed, whatever, that's expiring money for whoever takes him in come next year. Like Those are the guys that you might see get sent elsewhere for a team that wants to do something splashy next season with a whole lot of money to work with. So it it's very interesting. I, I Again, I'm not expecting much for the Suns, but it is important to note uh, first big trade happened this evening and, and we'll probably be hearing more and more rumblings moving through. Uh, Suns legend Steve Nash said James Harden's not going anywhere. That'll be interesting to watch as well. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's a good time to be a Suns fan. I think I'm just going to keep saying that until I can't anymore. Ryan, living up his uh, new life in Florida. Philip, new job on the horizon. Anything y'all need to add before we close this thing up? It was good to be back. Absolutely. I miss talking to you guys. When I was recording with with the other people, I was like, you're not Ryan and Philip." And as much as I enjoyed that, and I, I do love those guys, I, do, I did miss you all. Happy to be back. And just a reminder, for those listening, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at the Valley PHX. Follow at Brightside Sun, I believe, um, as well to keep up with the other stuff going on within the Brightside Network, whether that's the podcast or the written content that they're always churning out for free, which is wonderful as well. And again, one last reminder, suns.com slash Brightside, $11. 
make a huge difference and impact on someone's life. So with all that said and done, we love you all. For Philip and Ryan, I am Ethan. This is Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns podcast. We out.